Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewen. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. Okay, good morning, Sandy. Morning, Nat. How's it going? Good. Not bad. Yeah. Early. Yeah, early, yeah. but good. Happy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so we have a guest on the podcast today. We're super excited to present um, Wesley Lai, and he's a physiotherapist with a lot of insight. Hi, Wesley. Hi. Morning, Anne. Morning, Sandy. Oh, oh, hey, yes. That would be dog. dog. Cue the dog. We always oh, it's okay. the dog. Every time we have a guest, we have they have a dog, so it's right back. perfect. <laughs> Go get the dog. Has it actually? It's actually been? I think every so. Every single time? Yeah. Oh, wow. Sit. What a coincidence, eh? He's dealing with the dog. I just noticed it's three degrees here. I looked at my phone, the temperature. Is it cold there? Oh, my gosh. It's actually... Good <laughs> no, that's all good. That's all good. <laughs> he wanted to be in, or she wanted to be in the podcast. Yeah. She just couldn't. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, here, it's, it's not too chilly. It's not windy, but I think it's going to warm up to like a high of 18. It's weird. Oh, nice. Yeah, Toronto's Those, been amazing. It's been pretty nice here. We don't get it that hot, but it's like, I don't know, up to 12, maybe 13. It was gorgeous yeah, this weekend. It was absolutely gorgeous. And I was in first aid all weekend. But oh, shit. Gotta, gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. yeah. Winter is coming. Okay, though. okay. <laughs> it's coming. All right. Anyways. And you had your birthday. But that's pretty exciting. I had, uh, yes, I had a, I had a birthday. Yeah. Oh, I ate so much lasagna. You would have been proud of me. Not a girl. I took it down. Like, yeah, hung, like the the fullness sensation didn't stop me from eating. Yeah. You yeah. just tell that to stop. It's unnecessary. It's your birthday. Eat <laughs> Mindfulness, right? Exactly. Mindfulness. Yes. Do not pay attention to it. <laughs> this is why we practice yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought more to like um, mind over matter over stretch receptors over. <laughs> I'm gonna eat through this. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. Yes. Let's get started. So, Wesley, what do you do? Yes, uh, I'm a physiotherapist. Uh, so I'm a physiotherapist downtown Toronto at uh, Rebalance Sports Medicine. Uh, and I also have my own physiotherapy uh, in-home uh, clinic called Physiogenetic Rehabilitation. Ooh, I like the names of both of those practices. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, awesome. So how long have you been practicing for? So I'm a physiotherapist for about uh, two, three years now. I graduated at uh, U of T. Uh, prior to that, I did my master's in genetics. I uh, realized that uh, genetics and research wasn't necessarily for me. Uh, and I realized that I could help more people uh, doing physiotherapy stuff. And so I have an interest in sports and interest in uh, just how the body works. Uh, and uh, physio was a nice route for me to be able to learn uh, and do uh, just both. Um, yeah. Hmm. How did you get into it? Like, was there any triggering event or? Uh, good question. Yeah. So it all goes back down to my uh, master's in genetics. So when I, when I first started my research uh, thesis in uh, UFT for genetics, uh, I was doing a lot of work in the lab, so what we would do is we would take skin cells from kids with uh, a condition called Rett syndrome, um, and it's a genetic condition. We would transform them into brain cells, and then we could study uh, those skin cells as brain cells in a Petri dish, 
uh, and then we can look at its function. We can look at how the neurons would, would change. Uh, one of the challenges with research was that uh, I wasn't getting to speak uh, with people like yourselves and, and uh, I guess other people in a day-to-day -day environment. I was always kind of huddled up in my fume hood uh, working with cells. Um, and so then I shadowed a bunch of uh, different people, uh, physicians, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, dentists, optometrists, etc. cetera, uh, anybody who might be involved with uh, these uh, kids with Rett syndrome. Uh, and I found that physio was the uh, most rewarding profession and, and the profession where I found that we could help uh, those kids the most. Um, and then I decided to switch over and then I switched over. So I finished my master's in genetics, uh, then gone to physio school. Uh, and then now I've been working since graduating. Oh, that's awesome. That's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. I love that uh, idea of like being able to physically help someone and to know, you know, like that gratification that comes from helping someone. Um, I think that that yeah. makes for um, an easier to live life, I think, like day to day. Yeah. Yeah. There's just more purpose. Yeah. In the research, there's a there's a common saying that 99, 90%. 95 to 99% of the time you're failing, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which man. is really sad. Oh, man. <laughs> All your experiments go bad. And then in the, the physio world or the rehab world, at least, or even in the fitness industry, usually you're, you're pretty successful in terms of helping people achieve their goals. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It's a nice, nice change overall. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I really like, for me and my experience with physios, I like knowing that like I'd be, I'd be more likely to see you, uh, someone who's graduated recently than someone who's been actually a physio for say like 20 plus years, which I know seems backwards yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I feel like the people that are younger in industry maybe have more recent like working with more recent science if that makes sense is yeah, that something that you experience exactly, in the field absolutely. yeah absolutely absolutely like uh during uh, so like i respect all my mentors and i respect all my uh, supervisors and, and people who kind of taught me the trade of physio um, but you can definitely see that um and the, the profession is changing now but uh, the ones that have been working 20 25 years uh, they have a tendency to be stuck in a way with uh, some of the old research and the physio world is really trying to, to change that now uh, by encouraging evidence-based practices and, and updating people on how to practice with the up-to-date uh, evidence but even then some you know as life gets older some people near retirement uh, they, they get into a certain flow of things uh, some of the older physios I find tend to get stuck in a certain pattern of treatment uh, or even a pattern of, um, of thinking. Uh, and that can be pretty detrimental, um, I think, to like yourself, uh, Natalie and Sandy, when you guys are, are describing uh, some of these uh, experiences with other practitioners. Um, but yeah, I think the, the field is changing, which is good. Um, but there's still a long, a long way to go, uh, nonetheless. Yeah, of course. Um, I remember when I was doing my master's degree, I was sitting a ton. Um, I was actually in Waterloo, so it was like out, out near you guys. Uh, and I started to do yoga just as a way to move my body in some way that I enjoyed, period. Um, and between the yoga practice that I was doing, it wasn't the best. It wasn't um, maybe the most skilled teachers. Um, probably it was a warmer practice. So I was probably going into it 
too quickly, stretching too quickly, um, and not doing enough stability work overall in my body. So between that and sitting, I was in pain. I had SI joint pain basically, and kind of a little bit of a pinch sciatic nerve. And I went to a physio there and he, again, he was more experienced. Um, he was of course like had done a bunch of training and he was like a specialized expert of some sort, but he told me to like never do a back bend again. Um, and I'm not, what? and I'm not just talking like doing like wheel pose or something extreme. Like if you're lying, say you go on a vacation, you're lying on the beach, like don't lie on your stomach and prop yourself up on wow. your elbows. Yeah. No. Right. Holy cow. Like ever again. Yeah. It's just like, don't no. do this. And like, we identified that I had a really weak core and that my lumbar spine was just like super happy taking any bend in my back and like, okay, that's stuff that I now know. Um, but now through mostly through yoga I've completely changed how I move and I <clears throat> we talk a lot about this in our podcast like how to move um and integrate and create stability and it was kind of just my mind was just blown and I've I've seen so many people unfortunately that have gone to physios and they have treated people um not and not in a holistic way like very much in a compartmentalized way which is you probably see like is that maybe older way older method of, of absolutely, absolutely dealing yeah yeah and unfortunately there's a um, that comes from a very very old tradition i'm going to go ahead and assume that the person that you're talking about uh had an fcamp designation which is the highest designation for manual therapy and uh, that idea of uh, not bending backwards or not even bending forward i've, I've heard that where some physios will say hey, don't don't ever bend forward ever again because uh, you're going to pop out a disc in your back. That's a very, very old view that started from actually a guy who who runs basically a physio empire now. His name is uh, Dr. Hall, uh, and he, he was a physician uh, who worked with, I think it was Dr. Uh, Ramprasad as well from Toronto Western Hospital, who created this patterns of back pain. Uh, but the whole intent of that idea um, of not bending forward and backwards, it's only designated for during the acute stages of back pain or during the early stages of back pain. So within the first two weeks, uh, maximum four weeks, uh, or if somebody was in extreme amounts of pain. Uh, but then physios in the FCAP system took that research, and I use that in quotations, um, and I use it loosely too, uh, and they started applying it as if that's the recommendation, but they forgot about the limitations, and we see this all the time in science, where people forget about the, the context in which those recommendations are made. Uh, and then it, you get stuff like, what you hear, Natalie, where you should never bend backwards, which actually doesn't make any sense whatsoever uh, from a physiological perspective, because then the joints become arthritic, they become stiff. Uh, we know that joints need full range of motion throughout its extreme. So if the extension, I think uh, each segment moves about three millimeters into flexion and extension. If it doesn't get that three millimeters of movement, then you're going to dry out that joint uh, and you're not going to get the synovium in that uh, joint uh, lubricating um, that joint in so then things get really stiff and then you get way worse problems yeah uh, in the long run oh man i'm it's... like currently doing cat cows <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> like oh man yeah. yeah um that's so interesting to hear you say that about the physiotherapy world i guess most yeah. people don't like i've never known that that like something even with a therapist could be taken so far um out of context because that happens 
all the time in the yoga Absolutely. world, like the Absolutely. broken telephone thing being like, oh, you always have to tuck your tailbone in all standing postures, um, oh, yeah. right? And then, yeah, that's a lot of what Nat and I do, what we try to do to just spread this yeah. awareness that like, no, there's no one size fits all. Thank um, you, thank you. I just had somebody hurt themselves during that uh, last week. They, they were told to tuck in their tailbone. Their instructor came over and forced them to do it. And then they're, forced they're, them? They're, no. Oh, so much no. Wait, and they got, like, no. they got hurt? Yeah, they got hurt. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Like in their lower back, oh, in their lumbar? In their yeah. lumbar. In the lumbar spine, yeah. So I was already seeing this lady for back pain. Oh, and no. we had just started getting back into yoga. I told her maybe for a week or two weeks, just cool it, work on your core stable stability let things kind of settle down and then she went back into it and i told her look go easy you're not going to be able to do all the forms that are the quote proper way but that's okay just get into it again and slowly move your body mm. um, and then the instructor came over and said hey tuck in that pelvis oh, <laughs> did it no. for her she's like oh <laughs> and then we're treating that acute pain again she's fine but it's, uh, it's a little bit of a setback nonetheless right oh man i just feel i feel so terrible <laughs> like, no, as a representative of yoga, no. I feel so terrible for no, her. No. Well, I, just oh, like no. I was on Facebook the other day and I was seeing, well, I see this all the time, like in the different groups, it's like the right way to do this pose, the right way to do that that pose. Oh, okay, well, like, first of all, uh, yeah, if you have like a very able body and you don't sit a lot and you work a lot on your mobility and stability, um, you can probably make certain shapes. And then there's going to be someone who can never make that shape, but they're doing a lot of the muscular effort yeah. to create stability and and like a little bit more space and mobility. And say like your tight hip flexors, you're working on that, but it's never going to look like you're never going to create that same shape mm -hmm. as someone else, but you can be doing the actual work. So for a mm -hmm. teacher to not understand and to come up to someone like their body's making a different shape and to force it into another one. It's just like you have no yeah. idea what that f what that feels like. I, I have one feels teacher right now is talking with Sandy who you're <laughs> looking at their Instagrams. It's like, okay, this person has like <laughs> unlimited hamstring length and adductor length. Like there's just no limit to his range of motion. Yeah. So yeah. when he's teaching, and I was like, he teaches these poses with with no preparation. It feels like garbage in my body. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah. because he has no concept of preparation because yeah. he's always prepared. So, oh well, because man. Matt, you're tall. You're, yeah. You have like longer hamstrings, right? Whereas I don't think this guy he doesn't look that tall. So if you're if you don't have that much, it's like me. I have short legs and long arms, whereas mm -hmm. Nat has long legs and short arms, and that's gonna that's gonna have an effect for sure. Just like anatomical stuff that we can't change at all, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Let's get back on yeah. track because I want to ask. <laughs> I want to ask Wesley about trigger points. Yeah. Because that's actually really super interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you guys know about trigger points so far? Actually, uh, what's... it's it's okay. I'm trying to think of what I've been told. Um, trigger points. Okay. Now, am I thinking of trigger points or referred pain, or are those the same thing? It's like. Uh, They're similar, similar. similar. So when you feel something in one part of your body in one muscle, but the pain doesn't actually come from there. Yeah, that's okay. kind of like so that's good. referred so, or yeah. Yeah, so that's like yeah. So there's there's two like different types of trigger points. Um, there's one that's called active, which is the one where if you push on 
say you have one in your supraspinous muscle, one of the rotator cuff muscles. Uh, if you push on that muscle and it's an active trigger point, uh, what they'll do is they'll refer pain elsewhere. So I'll refer it not just locally, but also in the elbow, for example, and a little bit into the hand. Mm. Um, and it can be also result in spontaneous pain. So you could just be sitting there and all of a sudden you got pain or you could be stretching, uh, for example, doing uh, cat-cow, just weight-bearing on the arm. Uh, that, that can trigger uh, spontaneous pain. Versus what most people have is latent trigger points or kind of like dormant, quiet uh, trigger points. Um, uh, so most people, if you squeeze your trap muscle, the, the one at the shoulder near the head, mm -hmm. uh, you'll feel some discomfort. Uh, locally, uh, but it doesn't create any spontaneous pain. So that, like marble or rock in your in your muscles, those are what we call trigger points. And if they refer, they're active. And if they don't refer, uh, then they're called latent uh, hmm. trigger points. Um, both of them can result in muscle dysfunction. Uh, both so, so example, you can lose range of motion. Um, so we're talking about hamstrings earlier. So people with tight hamstrings, if they have trigger points in there, it can re result in reduced range of motion. Uh, and then there's a physio saying where if you have short, shortened muscles, you'll have weak muscles. And that's just because the uh, actin and myosin, so those are the contractile units of a muscle, can't kind of grab onto more fibers uh, and they aren't able to contract uh, more. Um, and so there you have a loss of strength. Uh, and then the most interesting thing would be uh, that these two things, so the active and latent trigger points, can lead to uh, autonomic nervous system uh, dysfunctions as well, which is... Uh, kind of changes in your fight and flight. And that's where I think yoga uh, has a really, really good effect on is that uh, autonomic fight or flight kind of zenning out or releasing stress uh, kind of effects, which can indirectly affect the way your trigger points uh, um, come about or how they present uh, as well. Um, Whoa. Okay. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> Holy cow. That was a lot of really, really cool information. Yeah. <laughs> That's just That's, the tip of the iceberg. Guys. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I have so many questions. Okay. First of all, okay. Uh, what is like the cause of a trigger? And what is it uh, like? Gosh. If I could dissect into it and look at it, what is it actually? Is it like actin and myosin and collagen all bunched together? Is it just the yeah. nervous system sending a signal there? Um, yeah. Let's start with that because there's so That's much. Wow. A really good question. So. So to be completely honest, it's still a big area of research. It's, we only have hypotheses, so it's not um, it's not fully, fully elucidated, fully, fully discovered yet. And I think that's something to acknowledge for, for research in this podcast is that everything that we're seeing is just a hypothesis at this point, uh, and that's how research works. Um, but uh, in terms of the, I guess, physiology or the anatomy of a trigger point, if you were to take a muscle and you were to dissect it, uh, I forget the 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 guy's name who who did the dissection but basically uh back in well i can't remember now way back when when trigger points were first described um the guy thought that there were actually tumors uh in in the muscles and he he described them as tumors now we know that they aren't tumors they were just clumps uh of of mouse and actin uh, from a microscopic kind of perspective um and what we do know now is that uh, or what we do suspect we know now is that uh, um, it's usually, or there's a theory called the Cinderella hypothesis where uh, the type 1 muscle fibers, so we have three muscle fibers, type 1, which is your uh, slow twitch muscles, so the ones that allow you to, to run a long distance. Then you got your type 2A, which is your fast twitch oxidative, so that would be like your uh, kind of in between your sprints and your long distance running. 
and then you got your fast twitch glycolytic muscle fibers, which are most active when you're sprinting. Uh, and it's those kind of low load uh, stress enduring muscles, the type of muscle fibers that uh, get recruited and de-recruited first during uh, muscle loads. And so what happens is that we suspect that those muscles um, get uh, overused and as a result, there isn't enough blood flow or perfusion to those muscles, uh, which causes the muscle to undergo ischemia. Uh, and when the muscles are under ischemia, it creates an ATP deficient environment. Uh, which will then make the environment more acidic, which changes the way calcium uh, is taken up by those uh, sarcomeres. So sarcomeres are basically these tubes that attach to muscles. And when you get a muscle contraction, they release calcium, which allows the myosin and the actin to bind together. Uh, and then when they bind together, uh, they form that contraction. But what happens with low load stress is that these calciums can't be reuptaked or they can't go back into the tube from which they came from. And the muscles kind of stay in that contracted uh, state. So that's the metabolic theory uh, for trick points. Does that kind of make sense or not really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you're saying it's like a lack of blood flow because these muscle fibers are being too often recruited or yeah. um, and, and so they sort of bunch up all together and create yeah. a trigger point. Um, does it does it matter how long that lasts for? Uh, how long the load has to be or? No, like how long it stays like lack of blood and lack of oh fluid. it can stay for a very long time so some oh, people man. have trigger points throughout the full duration of their life uh, oh, and man. it just stays dormant and, and that's not a bad thing trigger points aren't trigger points are a reality uh, in life for most people if you're going to use a muscle you're going to develop it because you're you're um, you're requiring metabolic demand and load uh, on those muscles but the beauty of the body is that it's highly adaptable um, so somebody can have lots of trigger points in their upper traps resulting in it becoming shortened and even tight and somewhat dysfunctional. Um, but you have redundant muscles that can kind of overcompensate or compensate for it in a, in a functional way so that it doesn't uh, affect a person's uh, day-to-day uh, life. Um, there's another theory out there of how trigger points form, which is the neurogenic model. So Sandy, you were talking about, I think it was Sandy that I was talking about, uh, is it like, heightened nerves or anything like that in the autonomic nervous system. Uh, and I think it probably goes both hand in hand with the, the neurogenic and the meta- metabolic and the Cinderella theory. Uh, but what we do or have seen is that with these trigger points, when uh, you do EMG studies, uh, which is looking at nerve conduction in the muscle, uh, these um, trigger points actually have a little bit more uh, neural activity and it's spontaneous. So there's nothing really provoking it. Uh, it just kind of fires on its own and it results in more muscle tone, which will create that metabolic effect as well. So when you get more nerve um, release of acetylcholine, then it can make the muscle contract more and stay in that uh, contracted state as well. Uh, and do we know the cause of like why there's more like impulses there? Yeah, so I think the current hypothesis and theory is, is again, just the, the regular day-to-day loads that we mm, put okay. on, on our body. Gravity is really, really uh, <laughs> tough on the body. It's 10.81 uh, times whatever uh, your, your mass is, right? So it is, it is quite a bit of load uh, on the body. And I think it was, um, there's estimates, for example, that like when you're, when you're running, uh, sorry, when you're walking, you can exert up to three times your force of gravity on your um, on your uh, back, uh, and if you're running, then you can exert sorry not on your back on your big toe uh, muscles, and if you're running, you can exert up to six times, eight times that force of gravity 
uh, and standing will, will obviously exert a low load of stress on those big toe muscles as well. Mm. Um, and so just the constant uh, um, push against gravity is, is uh, a lot challenging uh, for, for the body as well. Okay, so, oh my God, that's very cool. This is all very cool. Um, I think a lot of people experience trigger points. Like you said, they can kind of lie dormant or just be be in certain muscles for the majority of your life. Like if you think of a person who's not very active and they have a desk job um, and then you put them on a set of myofascial release balls, they might be feeling a lot of sensation (laughs) and potentially like that kind of like referred um, sensation or pain. Um, With that, like you were talking about touching your supraspinatus and it may be referring down to your elbow or your, or your wrist or your hand. I've always thought of that or I've tried to make sense of this because I don't like when things don't make sense. And I know, Mm. I know it's like a, (laughs) there's question marks beside all of these theories. Like I've always tried to think of it in to myself as you, you're, there's something going on with that muscle. And then if you push on it, it's pushing on a nerve and that's sending like compressing. yeah, Yeah. Compressing the nerve and it's sending pain down to somewhere else. Like, yeah. is, is that kind of like, that's just the way I make sense of it. But does... Yeah, good question. It's good. Very good question. So this is going to get really complicated real fast. <laughs> so, Woo, um, nice. so each nerve, um, so that's, so this, for example, the supraspinatus is innervated by the suprascapular nerve. The super, so that's a peripheral nerve. So we mm-hmm. have segmental nerves, and then we also have peripheral nerves. Uh, and then we have supraspinal nerves. We're not going to talk about supraspinal nerves because it's, it's the stuff in the brain. But then in between each bone in the neck, there are nerves that come out. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, between C1 and C2 uh, bones or the vertebra in your back is the C1 nerve root. Between the C5 and C6 uh, bones is the C5 nerve root. And between C6 and C7, it's C6 nerve root. Now the suprascap, and then uh, those nerves will come together. So the C5, C6, uh, I think even C7 maybe in some cases, they'll come together and they'll form the suprascapular nerve as well as a bunch of other nerves. So like the subscapular nerve as well. Mm. Um, the supraspinatus muscle, the nerve for the suprascap, so it's the suprascapular nerve only innervates the supraspinatus. So if you take your anatomy textbooks and you look at how that nerve is distributed, it's only uh, covering just the shoulder blade and around that proximity. It doesn't go into the elbow or into the hand. Um, and Natalie, now you're raising a good question of why is it that people feel the pain in their elbow and in the wrist? Um, and it's it's not definitive yet, but what I suspect is happening based off of my, my understanding of how the nervous system works is that it's because of the C5 to C6 contributions of the suprascapular nerve. I didn't talk about another theory of why people have... Um, have uh, trigger points, and that's the uh, fascial um, fascial dysfunction uh, model, which basically says that when you have too much low load stress on the fascia, which I make analogous to um, the human form of leather and uh, underneath our skin, um, it it releases hyaluronic acid, and hyaluronic acid is an important compound that allows for lubrication uh, between the different fascial layers and muscles, so it allows the muscles to slide on each other. The problem is, is that when you have too much low load stress onto these fascia, 
uh, you get overproduction of hyaluronic acid. And in a nonlinear um, universe or a nonlinear system, which is our body, so we don't follow Newtonian uh, physics, um, what ends up happening is that these hyaluronic acids clump together. So they form a soliton is what we call it in energy uh, distribution. And so it's you get these clumps of hyaluronic acid in the body, which then makes uh, the muscle layers more uh, sticky. Uh, and when they become sticky together, the nerves that actually pass through the fascia, they become sticky. And it just creates a feedback loop into the brain because what happens is that these nerves in the fascia may get irritated. Uh, and when they get irritated, they send information back to the spinal cord segmentally in the spine at the level of C5, C6, for example. Uh, and those nerves at the back can get irritated. Um, and uh, I'll talk about that in a second. And then what happens is that that nerve will send information back down into other areas of the body that are innervated by C5, C6 nerves oh. uh, that can result in that allodynia or dysesthesia or another word for it is a non-painful area becomes painful or another area becomes kind of tingly or it becomes dull achy despite touching somewhere upstream. Uh, and so it's mm. when we palpate that supraspinatus muscle and somebody feels it in the elbow and the hand, what I think may be happening based off of, again, my own personal reviews of the literature is that um, we're creating input into the spinal cord. The spinal cord doesn't know how to gate or has forgotten or is malfunctioning in some way and is not gating that information properly and it's referring down uh, somewhere uh, somewhere else. Um, and so the interesting is, is that to confirm that, what you would do is uh, for a person, for example, one of your yoga um uh, students or one of you guys, for example, if you had that shoulder pain, I would I would pinch, for example, your neck area, just gently to see if there's a thickening of the tissue, if there's a color change in the tissue. So if it turns orange, that's what we call peau d'orange. Uh, that means that there's trophic changes or there's a, a sensitization at those nerves, which means that a lower threshold of stimulus is required in order to get that nerve to fire. Uh, and then that mm. can correlate to different areas of the of the upper extremity. So elbow pain and thumb pain, for example, or that uh, that distal wrist pain, if you look at where the supraspinatus referral pain is correlated to the C5, C6 nerve roots. Um, and uh, I suspect that might be uh, why some people feel it in those uh, distal areas. So it's a, it's a central nervous system, peripheral nervous system sensitization uh, effect um, that is potentially taking place uh, distally. So then the other way that you can sort of see this is that if if so our arch i don't actually know this our trigger points relatively conserved across people like so if most people have a trigger point in supraspinatus then most of the referral is where c5 um yeah, yeah. would yeah so it's yeah. like it's conserved across population absolutely so that's uh, that comes to oh. the the work seminal work by uh, travel and simons uh when they first described uh, uh the trigger well they weren't the first to describe trigger points but they were the first to publish uh, trigger point um, the, the theory and the, the full distributions of it. There's another guy um, uh, uh, sorry this was described in 1950 so they basically took a bunch of um, cadavers uh, and uh, not cadavers people and they were kind of palpating it and then they actually mapped out the different trigger points uh, in their big 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 textbook uh, so if you look at say 10 people and they all had active trigger points uh, most of those 10 people will have the same distribution of, of yeah. pain if it was active. Cool. Yeah. 
So I guess that leads us to um, how can yoga help this out? Because you were saying, okay, so number one about the nervous system, but Mm -hmm. can we physically stretch a trigger point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, there are a couple ways of getting rid of trigger points. Um, The first way, absolutely, is stretching. Um, Now, the the problem with stretching is that uh, stretches will only get to the superficial trigger points. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll get, uh, for example, uh, your upper traps. If you, that's a pretty superficial muscle. If I were to needle it, it'd be less than a centimeter deep. If I really want to go deep, I can go up to two centimeters. I won't go more than that. Um, so like if you were to stretch the upper traps, you'll be able to get the superficial, uh, probably first couple millimeters to, uh, one centimeter, maybe even 1.5 centimeters deep, uh, of those mm-hmm. trigger points. Um, and the, so I mentioned the names Travel and Simon. So when they were describing how to, um, get rid of trigger points, they coined this technique called, uh, what they call the workhorse of myofascial therapy and it's called spray and stretch. Uh, and what they did was they sprayed uh, the skin with ethyl chloride. It's like a numbing agent or a cooling agent to distract the patient from the pain while they were being stretched. <laughs> um, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for example, if somebody had, uh, tight, uh, glute knees or tight glute muscles. Uh, a, a practical application for uh, yoga would be to do the pigeon pose, right? And that would be a good way of helping to get at those muscles or even uh, a little bit of piriformis uh, too. Um, or if the, you have uh, tight uh, erector spinae muscles, you could do child's pose. Uh, if you have tight lats, you could do child's pose with, I don't know what the, the proper term is called, but you flip one palm up and you kind of side bend to one direction in order to bias uh, the lats. Uh, that's that's one way uh, of stretching. I think uh, yoga is a good way to to do that if you can't obviously needle yourself safely, right? Um, <laughs> there there are other ways that uh, you can get rid of trigger points, which is the pinched muscle, uh, which will create um, uh, it's contra sorry not contradictory, but it's counterintuitive. But basically, you want to create an ischemic uh, event at that level of the muscle. So mm. your muscle is already ischemic. You want to create more ischemia. Uh, and what that does is it helps, and I don't know how it works, but it helps to um, equalize the length of the sarcomere, uh, which is a tube that kind of carries all the calcium. Uh, and yeah. it helps to allow for that muscle to, to relax. Uh, you can friction the muscle, which helps to improve the flexibility of the muscle. You can use heat, which will help to increase the extensibility of muscle. Uh, but definitely the most effective way is to put a needle through that muscle uh, and get a local <laughs> twitch response, uh, which, will change the, oh, man. Yeah, which will change the chemical environment um, and uh, uh, and overall, uh, kind of hit system reset for that for that muscle. Uh, it resets the nerves, or reset the, the actinomyosin, uh, get rid of all the um, all the chemicals that accumulate because of the metabolic deficiency at those at those muscles. Yeah, yeah. Nat, have you ever had a, a needle mm-hmm. in your trigger point? Yeah, in my butt. <laughs> in your butt. <laughs> super like super deep right in my butt yeah, like it's like a deep dull ache right oh it was like something else yeah yeah <laughs> type 3 4 muscle afferences as well as uh, eight delta c fibers for the nerves yeah so, <laughs> definitely yeah. was that <laughs> we wouldn't put it in those words but yeah <laughs> stuff is happening okay. it was like um, in, i think it was in my piriformis or in my external rotator somewhere and yeah. he would like stick it like so deep yeah. and then Ugh. flick it yeah um yeah it felt like 
not like a stab, but like deep, dull, like that one is deep and like kind of sharp, but not pointed. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. It sucked a lot. Yeah. It sucked a lot. <laughs> but like when you're doing that work with someone, now I understand the science of it and, and um, I, I kind of respect it a little bit more because I know so many people who go get needled for shoulder stuff, but then it's like, that's, that's it. They all, they, that's all they give them. So I would assume that ideally you're going to be looking at postural habits, oh, um, stability and yeah, creating more stability usually is, is one of the reasons why muscles are not being loaded properly. I yeah. assume her. Yeah, you're touching on a really good point there. Like with the stability aspect in yoga, um, like trigger points, if people had good stability, if they had good, in an ideal world, uh, if they had good stability, good strength, good flexibility even, trigger points wouldn't cause too much of a problem. The problem is, is that when you sit for so long, these muscles get fatigued and they become unstable. And uh, sorry, I don't want to use the term unstable, they become weak. Um, and so it's not that people are going to be like, dislocating or anything per se but um the type one muscles that we're, we're, we were talking about earlier they have to work that much harder in order to retrain um and i think what this is where again another area of, of yoga and physio can kind of complement each other is if if a person can go in and get these um these trigger points addressed uh, and these myofascial pains addressed and then go and do the yoga to um work on their core strength, work on even the rotator cuff uh, stability and strength, work on the hip uh, stability and strength, then uh, a lot of the, the issues would be resolved and, and addressed and people will continue to live their, their happy lives. Um, one problem with physiotherapy is oftentimes uh, people just think about doing the manual therapy uh, and then they don't prescribe any exercises. Um, and uh, it, it goes hand in hand. You gotta, you gotta treat the physiological issue but then you also need to work on flexibility strength proprioception which is a big part of, of yoga as well uh, mm. and uh and continue to evolve that as you as you live and as you go along in life mm-hmm. that's so interesting i'm wondering no. um well i was just <laughs> yeah i was thinking i heard you breathe and i'm like are you, are you i'm getting walk? closer i'm getting closer to the mic um <laughs> Leslie, like how, how, what's, if you were able to kind of think of a proportion of how many people you treat who are injuring themselves mostly from being sedentary, like a lot of people have shoulder problems with desk work or back Mm -hmm. problems, Mm -hmm. um, or are you seeing more people in your practice on the scale of working with athletes and very active people? Nice nice range. I, I definitely, so I do work with some athletes and I do work with some higher level athletes too and some professional uh, athletes and they're definitely far and few um, in, in my practice uh, so I probably see 15-20% who are in that uh, um, not your weekend warriors uh, we'll say like five times a week workout uh, professional athletes I'd say might just make 1% maybe 2% of my practice um, the vast majority I would say would be sedentary people um, I'm in downtown for the most part, uh, three days a week. And so they make up the majority of my clientele. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm on Bay street, right? So that means that, uh, these people are working long hours, usually high stress jobs, don't really have time to, to work out. Um, and 
a lot of them have like their their uh, their origins of pain, we'll call it, um, are mostly just being too sedentary. Uh, if they could get up and move, uh, makes a big difference. Usually, what I find is the moment I get them a sit stand desk, or uh, we we request one from work, and they're starting to stand now, they're starting to sit. I get them to go to the washroom every hour every half an hour go get water go get coffee whatever every hour every two hours uh, they do much better Um, and it's just that Mm -hmm. um, that sedentary lifestyle i think what about you guys do you guys see mostly um like high activity people or are these people who are trying to get into yoga and I see a lot of like repetitive strain people. (laughs) I think I see. Yeah, it's like the combination of um, having to sit at a desk job, but then wanting the feeling of being really secure and fit and stable in their bodies. And so there's so much of like overdoing it at Fit Factory, so much overdoing it at a boot camp. Um, And then yoga is like what they fall back on when they feel injured. Um, But a lot of forms of yoga are not appropriate. Like um, after like a really bad hamstring tear, you don't want to just sit there in a hamstring stretch for, you know, five minutes, um, not to end range, right? You, you want to like re- re-strengthen the muscle um, and give it healing time. Um, but that, uh, some some people think that yoga is just like, you know, it's just like a gentle way to work out, even though it, it doesn't it isn't always yeah. it isn't always a gentle way to work out um and some of the stretches are just not appropriate for everyone um so yeah i think that's that's sort of the demographic like for me it's like the younger um want to do things but also live a sedentary lifestyle because like that's that's part of everyday life nowadays um yeah and and i think a lot of the messaging that i'm trying to like give out there is like well number one if you're really injured you seek professional help and you get you get like a doctor's okay before you you embark on another you know fitness thing um but to also like examine um your internal motivations around like you know busting yourself at the gym there's this whole like idea of like beast mode go hard every day uh before after pictures you know there's this like culture of like really going hard every single time and that's so not necessary that's like such a road to injury um yeah so trying to like balance it out and being like well how else can you show yourself you care for yourself um maybe it's like let's just stand on one leg and balance yeah. for a while yeah. <laughs> and and work stability for a while or maybe it's like the really gentle tva core stuff rather than like the like crunch 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 until you can't your abs bleed i think nat said that to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> was that you i don't know but maybe it sounds like me that sounds pretty funny i might use sounds that like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and that I think that's a really hard message to communicate mm-hmm. to someone who because they, they feel like they have to make up for it. Right. Like, oh, I sit. I sit from nine to five. So I got to I only have one hour to go to the gym. I got of course I have to go hard. Um, do you get that? Oh, absolutely. Leslie? Absolutely. All the time. How do you like how do you it's such a for me, it's like a that's that's a battle communicating yeah. to that yeah. message. Yeah, it's a struggle. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what do I tell people? I usually tell them that. uh it's non-productive. I think if you're like your body, you know, if your mind says one thing, but your body says another thing, um, it doesn't matter how much you try to will it, your body has certain limitations and it's just gonna, it's gonna stop you one way or another. 
And there's a there's a beautiful book written by a guy. He's a medical philosopher named Mario Bunhe, uh, and it's called When the Body Says No. Uh, I think it's Mario Bunhe, and it, it, the whole idea of it is that um, like s- sometimes people try to push, 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 and push, and they don't respect the boundaries of the body, um, and eventually, um, you know, the the whole pursuit of why people want to get um, uh, in the shape is either for uh, their own self-esteem or it's for their own fitness or it's to help with stress or whatever mentality it may be it becomes counterproductive when you uh, when you push uh, that hard because what happens is if you injure yourself or your body is in metabolic overload or uh, or is metabolically deficient or even neurologically um, what's going to end up happening is your mood will suffer your um, sense of fulfillment will suffer as well the um, the, the reason why you're doing it you, you kind of flip it around and um, it, it becomes a negative rather than a positive uh, from a behavioral, from a psychosocial kind of perspective as well. Um, so I try mm-hmm. to have that kind of cerebral yeah. uh, discussion with them and trying to figure out and tease out why uh, they want to push so hard um, and, and right. what their goal is. And if, if it's to you know just get active, then it doesn't mean that you have to blow your heart out of your, your chest in order to yeah to get there Um, yeah yeah and i was totally there before too right like whereas like every workout i have to be drenched in sweat and then it takes that like overdoing it to know and and realize like how how it doesn't have to be like that to to be healthy and fit and well yeah i apply like all of my yoga training and just applying it to myself currently because I'm, I'm working full-time as an environmental geoscientist with the BC government. Um, so I'm sitting. I'm, I'll get a stand-up desk soon, but I'm sitting and I'm doing, trying to do like, it's kind of like a hit type workout twice a week and then yoga a couple of times. And I notice if I don't get the yoga in with those other physical practices, like I know my tendencies in my body. I know the way I sit, I know which side is worse and which hip is going to go first and where my normal aches and pains are and where the ones where I feel things where it's like right pre-injury or getting close to something that I would, that that would stop me from doing what I like to do. Um, And I think it's that like mindfulness aspect from practicing yoga where I can, and it's taken 33 years really to (laughs) to know like okay I'm not going to go do that workout tomorrow because then I will be in a place like close to injury or it's going to stop me for two weeks instead of stop me for one day Um, but that like mental component Leslie that you were talking about with pushing it will come back to you like whatever's behind that that will come back to you at least like five force when you get injured Mm -hmm. I see Mm -hmm. so many people who suffer like really suffer depre- from depression and anxiety or combination thereof after injury. Mm-hmm. It's huge because you're mm-hmm. taking taking away what that person does for joy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got the, so the name I, of the book wrong. Uh, sorry, the author is Gabor Matei, by the way. It's When the Body Says No, okay. Gabor Matei. Oh, yeah. Not Mario He's a good guy. I think I've yeah. heard of this one. I'm going to look yeah. that up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll link it to the show mm-hmm. notes. Everyone will have access to it but yeah i think that's a good good yeah. resource mm-hmm. <laughs> when the body says no <laughs> it's all about oh, mental yeah. stress too yeah uh, like if, if you have hidden stresses and you add yeah. more stress by working out too hard <laughs> oh god yeah. Yeah. 
recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just like a lack of understanding. Like people mm-hmm. feel like they're they're doing they're really doing something for themselves, right? Like if you high stress right. job, you're just working for for someone else, um, meeting those deadlines, all that stuff. But there's a yeah, there's a lack of education around like the capacity of your body and 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 balance mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we we like I know Sandy, you teach corporate. I taught a lot of corporate when I was in Vancouver. I got a lot of people who were definitely the weekend warriors. So a lot mm-hmm. of like yeah. hard runners, um, or just like hit the gym really hard, and then they would only do yoga because it was very accessible in their workplace. They're not really going out of their way to do it, and like. Honestly, your schedule, you just, so many people don't have time. Like I have to push to make time to do it right now. And then they're realizing, oh my God, like there's that kind of awakening into like what, what's going on in your body when you do like a, just a wide legged forward fold or something. Like you never spread your legs. you never spread your feet apart that yeah. wide, like that holy <laughs> shit moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, and then that realization that it makes you feel so much better in doing those other things that you like. So Sandy and I talk a lot about like yoga is not a sport. Yoga, yoga is su- supportive to, to the rest of the things you want to do. And it can be your main, main thing that you focus on, but hopefully yeah. not in that driven way where it stops you from kind of feeling and taking note of your body. That's not the purpose of it whatsoever. Yeah. I actually think when I, when I took on yoga, like a long time ago as like my, my thing to keep me healthy, fit, sane, my coping mechanism. Um, that's when I, I got like most of the injury, like the, the big injuries that sort of persist till today that, yeah, like Nat says, I, I sort of keep my eye on it when I do too much of something that I know, oh, that's that like precursor sensation. I'm going to have to pull back. Um, do you, Wesley, ever see, like, do you get people who, who do yoga as like their sport, oh, as yeah. their main oh, yeah. thing? Oh, and, yeah. and are, yeah. And they're injured yeah. from it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I usually see them in injuries of back, um, low back. Knee. Oh man. And it's it's I, um, I find it's the like uh, I think it was Natalie that's a lack of education of knowing when to, um, kind of back off and saying I think you said too like you you guys have become well tuned with your body of knowing when you're starting to feel too much pull that is a little bit unnatural. Um, and I find that some of these clients of mine, they, they just push through the discomfort. Um, and, uh, mm. and usually it's, it's the back that struggles. Uh, interestingly enough, I can just in my head here, I'm thinking, um, I, I want to say most of them actually get hurt doing the downward dog and it's that pelvic tilt component where, um, they're told they need to go into an APT. Uh, when they're when their pelvis is in the posterior pelvic tilt, um, and then they'll force it, and then something clicks, and they're like, "Oh god!" What? And they get a muscle spasm. Um, That's so great. Wait, so they're being told that they need to be in posterior pelvic tilt? No, no, they, in downward facing. They need dog. to be in uh, uh, anterior pelvic tilt. Oh, okay. anterior yeah. in downward facing dog. And the problem is, is that they aren't uh, flexible enough for it. Uh, right. Their hamstrings are are too taut. Their yeah. hip flexors maybe um, already too taut as well their erector spinae muscles may be too taut as well they don't have the global flexibility for it and stress mm-hmm. is gonna stress is gonna um or i don't want to say breaking point but the the 
the injuries are going to happen where there's less tensegrity or less integrity. And so because we're sitting all day, we're putting too much stress on the L4, L5 segments of the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually where people end up hurting and, and feeling that. Wow. So, I want, I want, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in those classes to see like what oh, the, what the cues are. I wonder if yeah. they're like yeah. making them or, or instructing them to have their feet flat that's yeah. like a super old school thing. And then, yeah, yeah if you're moving your pelvis super. from flat feet. Yeah. So I've, I've done a couple of yoga classes and that was definitely one of the things. So the guy uh, actually came over to my hips <laughs> and literally oh, no. put my hips in APT. And I was like, uh, nope, I go back into posterior pelvic tilt. Yeah. I was like, don't do that, please. It's going to hurt yeah. way too much. Um, I was doing a pigeon in one other class before, and uh, I'm unable to get my my full bum on the floor, uh, and I'm kind of like contorted and twisted, and it's not beautiful by any means. Um, <laughs> and the person came over and literally tried to tip me the other way, and I was like, "Nope, no, nope, that's gonna happen. <laughs> Thank you." Oh, like tip you onto your bum? Uh, tip me. So no, I was already sitting on my bum, but it was that uh, oh, yeah. I was kind of. So if I was to stretch uh, stretch my right side. I'd be kind of tipped yeah. over to the left uh, or facing the left uh, in an open position versus I should be more mm. of a parallel to the floor, my, my torso. Uh, Interesting. And, you know, in the end, if I were to try to make myself parallel to the floor, I would just be mm. twisting through my back. It wouldn't be happening through my hip. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I, I actually hate that pigeon adjustment. And some people actually put body weight <gasps> down, down it, yeah. to the hips. Yeah. That's happened to me. And I just, you know what I do? I actually like tense my butt and I push back yep. up. Yep. And I'm like, oh, yay. So now this is a resistance exercise exactly. at end range. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can do that. Strengthening my bum now. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm strengthening my bum rather than stretching it. But I, I hate that because like, I just feel you're in such a vulnerable position, right? Yeah. And then someone's going around to put body weight on you. Oh, yeah. I'm not for that. Not for that at all. Um, uh, okay, oh so God. this leads me really well into my probably our last question. Um, as yoga teachers, how can we do better? How can we serve the population better? Just from, I know, Wesley, you you have just like a subset of yeah. the population, of course, yeah. as, as we all do, right? Yeah. We all have just a subset. Um, but it's... Are there any final words you could? Yeah, no, I think you, you and uh, Sandy and you and Nat, uh, you guys have the right idea already. And I think you guys are addressing it and trying to address it through your podcasts. And um, mm-hmm. that's that instructors need to be cognizant that there's body um, uh, heterogeneity. Not everybody's body is the same. Sandy, you're, uh, like you said, shorter. You may have uh, shorter limbs than Nat, who may be taller. Um, even hormonal differences right like men um, Mm -hmm. we don't have as much estrogen we're not as flexible so they expect a guy to be able to go into uh, a child or not a child but a pigeon like a a woman can (laughs) they're not going to get the same results um and just to respect the the body um encouraging people uh to work at their own pace and not trying to aspire to have a certain figure when they're when they're at their uh, yoga classes is is important too um, so they're trying to eliminate that peer pressure of trying to do um, a certain pose, a warrior's pose, the, the perfect way. Um, I think that would be the best. And offering uh, alternatives uh, and, and vocalizing it before the, the questions even come, I think, is, is, a, big, uh, is a big help. Um, I think what really helps my practice as a physiotherapist is that I often try to predict people's questions before they even ask it. And I try to offer them uh, alternatives before they even 
uh, know to, to ask uh, what the alternative is. Uh, and I think that applies not just for my field, but in any field, whether it be accounting uh, or even in, as an engineer or as a yoga instructor or even as a personal trainer uh, in all our professions that uh, that will help to ease uh, a lot of people's subconscious unknown uh, anxieties towards uh, mm. trying to, to fit a certain mold. Uh, right. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, in the, I'm reading about chaos theory and, and uh, on my own time, and there's this theory out there called soliton particles, and it's this idea that uh, in, in our human minds, uh, it's one theory of, of neural reality is that we are all kind of synced by different energies, um, and, uh, and our thoughts and the way we think um, kind of gravitate towards each other into these kind of lumps uh, or clumps. Uh, and so this idea of how we want to be like our peers and peer pressure and all that stuff, that's that's an intrinsic, I think, uh, battle that we, we're going to have to constantly um, go against. But it's something that we can use to our fa uh, favor as well. So creating an environment uh, where it's acceptable uh, for people to, to do things a little bit differently um, and mm -hmm. still achieve the same goal, uh, it's... I think is a powerful thing and is a challenging thing that uh, I think all yoga instructors and other people in the fitness industry, myself included, in, in the rehab industry, um, are going to have to wrestle with. Yeah, oh, I love that. I think that's a, a great, really great final message. Uh, Nat, anything lastly to add? I just love that that chaos theory that you're talking about because I was thinking with in like as teachers were kind of teaching people to use yoga as a tool to go, to go against the norms, I guess I'm trying to think, but then in it, um, teaching people have a problem going against what their teachers did. So mm -hmm. there's like a con, there's an interesting contrast there. Yeah, you're teaching your students. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, 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 the, that's the battle. Yeah. No, but it's it's a good paradox to have. I think. Yeah. Uh, like you want, I always tell my clients, be skeptical of me, please. Like be be um, questioning everything. That's how I do things too, right? Um, and not not to be in a rude way or not to be uh, mm -hmm. pretentious or or distasteful or anything like that. But it's it's so that in the end, it's your body, it's your uh, your mind, it's your. If you want to talk about spirits, your spirit as well. Like the the onus is on you in the end. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, encouraging yeah. that is, I think, uh, is good. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, giving that environment to be able to um, opt in, opt out, modify. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's a big part of our mm -hmm. our challenge. Yeah. Funny story. So the, this is not related to yoga, but uh, it's an example of um, kind of peer pressures that you see. So have you guys heard of Orange Theory Fitness? Oh yeah, that's the one I'm yeah. doing twice a week. Oh, it's it's, it's a killer. <laughs> Kicks around. <laughs> yeah. Go on, tell your story. I, I just I started so, doing it, but yeah. So I, I did one. I did one the uh, the a couple of weeks ago. It was for it was my first one. It was for my wife's friend. Uh, her um, her birthday. So she's huge on Orange Theory Fitness, and uh, and my my philosophy is when I when I work out I will go hard to my extent and then I'll stop I don't care if it's in a class I'll stop if I need to and I'll sit in the corner just to catch mm -hmm. my breath 
Uh, and my, my wife gets embarrassed by that. And so that's an example oh. of how peer pressure can happen. Because when I when I sit in the corner, everybody's obviously looking and be like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just taking a break, right? And my yeah. wife gives me uh, a little bit of a lecture afterwards about how I oh, always no. do this. I always push myself too hard. It's whether it's swimming or whatever. And I'm just like, hey, like everybody has their own their own uh, um, style of doing things. And as long as they know when to push or, or pull uh, the plug, it's uh, it's okay, right? So if somebody wants to sit yeah. in the middle of the room and just wait it out, let them wait it out. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we have yeah. to go at everybody's yeah. rates, right? Totally. Yeah. I'm glad you're leading by example. I'm so <laughs> glad you're doing that. And like showing people that like, yeah, so what? You yeah. know, I love, yeah. that. Oh, I love that. I think by way, that's yeah. great. Yeah, and and the interesting was is that when when I started reflecting on it and dissecting it, the the only people that were that really had kind of felt uncomfortable by it was was the person that talked to me about it, which was my wife. Uh, I found and I love her to death, and, mm. and that's fine. But uh, what I'm starting to see is there's a change in the fitness industry too. Like nobody during the the class came up to me and was like, "Yo, you should have pushed harder." Uh, the instructor was great. Mm. He was just like, "Hey, you need a break." I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Okay, perfect. Keep keep doing your thing." And I was like, "Great." <laughs> it, yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, exactly. it, was, it was the way yeah. I think it should have been. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that yeah. there's that shift, I think, and it's it's a good shift in this industry altogether. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the stopping that's important. That's yeah. like, yeah, maybe you want you're doing a little personal study and you want to see how how far you could like how far mm. fast you could run how much you mm. could push yourself or all of a sudden it was just like oh that's too much yeah, and yeah exactly. the stopping is super important exactly. it's exactly mm-hmm. what you want to do yeah exactly. i like orange yeah. theory because they do use like the heart rate monitor so you yeah. are yeah. not going to a certain speed on the treadmill yeah. or lifting a certain weight of x number of pounds you go by your own body that's why i do like it um I don't know. Maybe I won't like it in a year, but and, and also just being <laughs> being told what to do. Like that's just I don't have the space to create my own yeah. workouts of, of those types right now. Yeah. So really supporting me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last last Orange Theory story. So I know they do the the heart rate monitor, and you're supposed to stay above uh-huh. a certain like your certain rate, whatever thingy they they do. Um, but you can there's like a board where you can see yeah, other people, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so my, one of my friends, he's like super competitive. <laughs> so he was like, oh, I want to burn more calories than that other guy. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like on the board and fighting for like the thousand calories. Oh, my God. Um, me- I don't know. It's not it's not a medal. Is no, it? there's no. no medals, right? It's, it's just, it's yeah, there's points no. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever points you get. So he um, I think he stayed five minutes after. <laughs> just like killing himself doing one last that's thing just to get funny. a little bit more cal- or like he skipped the cool down or whatever it was so there's also that ex- aspect of it i don't know if, how prevalent that is or if it's just maybe the personality type that might yeah. i don't know just cling on to that and just like over there's one in every group though you know like you get that in yoga too and yeah. yes for the most part when yes. i go it's just super normal people there's people of all ages sizes and abilities and like you don't have to run on the treadmill. You can jog. You can walk. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's a pretty. I mean, it depends where you are in the city. This is Victoria. If you're downtown uh, Vancouver or Toronto, who knows? But it's usually pretty normal. Yeah. yeah, you'll just get you'll get those people in any group. But oh well, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. funny though. <laughs> yeah, I love how we just funny, plugged right? in our series just now. <laughs> 
Yeah. I know. It's like, are, are we advertising for them or bashing them? I can't really, I don't, I don't really know. know. They have the pros and their cons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like every, yeah. every facility <laughs> exactly. does. Exactly. Comes, comes down to just like proximity of like what's closest to me and yeah timing <laughs> like what's open when it's open ease of access mm-hmm. and there's I think there's a lot of other um facilities that have more dynamic and there's like I've been told there's better trainers at better places which is totally fine but I like the running and the weightlifting combo but anyways and then I have to have to have to do <laughs> yoga other times a week or else I notice I totally get screwed up like I know that I I need more um stuff like stability Mm -hmm. practice and and some stretching in there or else I get I totally start to feel like my right hip's gonna go the hip flexor but anyways that's just me (laughs) okay I think we should wrap it yeah um yeah Thank you so, so much, Wesley, for making the time to talk to us and nerd out. It was so good. It was so good to like hear all those nerdy things that like just totally makes my day. Um, and Nat, thank you for waking up at 530 a.m. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we yeah, appreciate that is Holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have Wesley on again to nerd out. It would be my pleasure, else. guys. Thank you so much for oh, having yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.